I mean, it's preaching's just becoming such a, a trivial thing to me anymore. It's kind of like, not that it's not important, but it's just, it's just all about him, you know. And it just becomes talking about him. <laughs> like, because what else is there to really talk about but him? He's so good. He's so good. He's just indescribably good. But you know what? I'm going to try the rest of my life to use words. <laughs> Even though they're not adequate, I'm going to use the rest of my life to praise him. How awesome he is. Jonah, man, the runaway bride. Some prophets that are the post-exilic, pre-exilic, and then there's some that are just pathetic. <laughs> and that's kind of Jonah. <laughs> the whole duty of a prophet is to hear the voice of God and be his messenger in the earth. And Jonah gets a message from God and says nothing and runs away and falls asleep. <laughs> so the book of Jonah is a, it's just an extreme comedy to me. That God would speak and he would run. And there's this pervasive theme throughout the book of Jonah that just captivates me. Is that everybody else is doing the right thing but the man of God. Jonah's on a ship, God sends a storm, and the men are throwing off their livelihood to save Jonah. <laughs> it's his fault that it's the storm. After they try that and do their best, they start rowing as hard as they can to get to safety while Jonah's asleep in the boat. And you're just like, Jonah, come on. And just when you didn't think it could get any worse, Jonah then won't even throw himself off the boat. He asks the others if they would step into blood guiltiness and throw him off the boat. It's like, Jonah... Could you at least thrown yourself off the boat? And so we last left Jonah. He's floating in the Mediterranean Sea. God says, go to Nineveh, just a few miles north. And he gets in a ship and goes to Tarshish. <laughs> now the sea for the Jewish people, they weren't a seafaring people. God's promise to the Jews was, was a land and a seed. Land and a people. That was the promise to the Jews. And it was like Jonah was saying, I would prefer, instead of a land and a people, I would prefer the chaos of the ocean and the unpredictability of what the sea provides than I have to be obedient to God and do what he's called me to do. 
And when I recite these things, I start to get uppity in pride and start to say, how terrible is Jonah? Hmm. But then when I look a little bit closer, I say, wait a second. How many times has God said go and I've said no and went my own course? So the story of Jonah is not the story of Jonah. It's the story of Israel, which is the story of us. So in the middle of Jonah, we find ourselves. But there's something peculiar about the story of Jonah is Jesus puts himself right in the middle of it. In Matthew chapter 12, he approaches some Pharisees and he says, You look for a sign. And here's the only sign I'm going to give you. The prophet Jonah. <laughs> that would have hit hard, right? Because they're saying, wait a second here, what are you saying? The sign is the prophet Jonah. Jesus, in other words, he's saying, you know what? You look more like Jonah than you do look like me. And because you've convinced yourself that you're not Jonah, you're not open to repenting of the fact that you are Jonah. See, before we can ever do anything else, we've got to see a true representation of who we actually are. I love what Randy shared with me. You know why the, the man had to put clay in his eyes before he could be healed and see? Because he had to see a picture of himself before he could see a picture of Jesus. And some of us have been unwilling to look in the mirror at ourselves. But don't fret. God's there. <laughs> and as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, Jesus gets in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah starts out just like all of us do when we're running from God. At first it feels like some freedom, doesn't it? <laughs> the wind in his hair on the stern of the ship. Oh, oh yeah, it looks something like that. That's how you thought you looked. That's what me and Em did that on the cruise, if I was the one out front and she was, <laughs> she had my love handles holding me. She said, look, I'm flying. And I said, yeah. What's funny is the story of Jonah starts like this. But then Mr. Fish comes 
and it starts to look like this. See, when we're running from God, it always feels like the world is, we've got the world in our hands, and we know better than God. <laughs> you ever told him that? Oh, we know better than you, God. If you knew what you were doing, you'd just let me go on to Tarshish. But God has this thing about loving you a whole lot. <laughs> My daughter's got this new thing, Abigail. Oh, there's Abigail. Oh, Abigail. Abigail's got this new thing. Everything's no, because she thinks it's funny. I said, Abigail, your daddy's girl. She said, no. <laughs> Abigail, you give daddy some sugars. No. But she knows when I tell her no, it incites something in the Father's heart that pursues her even more. That your no to God, he doesn't listen to. Because he's jealous for you. We'll say, well, jealousy is a sin. No, the evil of jealousy is being jealous of something that's not yours. Righteous jealousy is to crave something that is yours, and you are his. So every time you've told him no, guess what? That jealousy gets more and more fierce. Every time you tell him no, the, the fierceness of, of you being his bride and being unfaithful just gets stirred up in him. The more you've told him no is not the more that he's listened to you. It's the more that he's ignored your no and keeps pursuing you and going after you to be right in the middle of the thing that you think you're going to distance yourself from him, but it ends up being the thing that brings you to him. They're what I call spectacular sins. The thing I was doing to run from God, which actually allowed me to hit the end of my rope to call out to God. So every no from Jonah is a yes to God. And God says, Jonah, you don't get away that easily. Yeah. You ever tried to outrun God? How'd that go? Well, you're obviously in here, so something happened. Right? Something happened. And you were floating in the middle of a storm. And you said, it can't get any worse. And then sea monster comes. The Dagadol. And now you're in the belly of the fish. But I think about David's words in Psalm 139. If I'm in the highest heavens, God, you're there. 
if I make my bed in hell, God, you're there. That I'm finding out in the stages of becoming a Christian, it's just realizing you're not going to want up God. And the quicker you raise your hands and surrender and give yourself to him, the quicker everything else starts to make sense in the universe. So Jonah swallowed by a sea monster. Now the, the prophets have a, a particular thing of why they do things. And the prophets are these intense pictures of God's redemption. God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute to bring her in. And through that sign, God is showing his redemption of what he's going to do to Israel. I love the fact that God never leaves us with a hard prophetic word that doesn't come with an even more glorious promise out of it. So if God is speaking to you something hard that he's asking you to do, know this that something more glorious is going to come from it, okay? And so that's what these prophets were all about. They come onto the scene and they preach judgment and then when the people don't listen, they go to exile and then after they're in exile, they cry out to God and then the prophets prophesy a restoration, a time in which things are going to be restored to the original plan of God and that is this cycle. And so we see this embodied in the book of Jonah. That this is that message personified in the personhood of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. The Lord sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, something odd here that I'd never noticed is that Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and then he prays. I'm like an hour in the fish's belly. And I'm going to be like, oh. Jonah's willing to go three days just to make sure there's not some stone or some crustacean unturned in this fish's belly before he cries out to God. Let me save you some trouble if you're running. There is nothing better than Jesus on the face of this earth. You might think you have some stones that are unturned that you've yet to look under. I'm going to save you some time. There ain't nothing out there. Okay? 
Nothing out there. Just press into Jesus here and now. So Jonah's in the fish belly three days and three nights, and he is now decided, well, I got one last thing to do. I better turn to God. <laughs> and he lets out this praise right from the middle of a fish stomach. Verse 2, or chapter 2, rather. And he said, I called out to the Lord from my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried out for help. And you heard my prayer. You threw me into the deep waters, into the middle of the sea. The ocean current engulfed me. And all the mighty waves you, you sent swept over me. Do you see what happens to his focus now? What he saw happen to him from other people, he now sees God's hand in as a mercy, a severe mercy to get his attention where he would call upon God. He's now saying, God, you sent the waves. And he's starting to see these things. He's starting to see it as the grace that put him in the place that he didn't want to be. Verse 4, and I had been banished from your sight and that I would never again see your holy temple. Your water engulfed me up to my neck. The ocean, the deep ocean surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I went down to the very bottoms of the mountains. The gates of the netherworld barred me in forever. But you brought me up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I called out to the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who worship worthless idols forfeit the mercy that could be theirs. But as for me, <laughs> go ahead and look to somebody and say that. But as for me, I promise to offer a sacrifice to you with a public declaration of praise. <laughs> can we just stand up right now and can you just give God, did he not get you out of the fish? Did he not get you out of drugs? Did he not get you out of jail? Did he not get you to start your own business? Did he not bless you more than you could believe? Did he not get a fish to come at the right time when you should be dead to swallow you and to bring you into the perfect plan of God? Did he not do it? Can you not give him a public praise? Are you that bound up? You can't give him a public praise? I'm talking about a public praise. I'm talking about a cry from the fish's belly. A cry from the fish's stomach. The problem with some of us is we ain't made it to the fish's belly yet. 
still got some running to do. That's why the, the people that wasn't supposed to know how to worship, just like the story in Jonah, are the people that worship the best. Because when you've been in a fish belly, you'll upset the sanctimonious with your free praise. Because the free praise always reveals to others how much prison of worry about what other people think that they're in. There's only way, two ways to deal with that is you got to say something wrong with them or you got to say something wrong with me. Jesus had a woman of the night come in on him and wash his feet with her tears. They'll say, oh, you're crying too much. Well, how many, fears does it how many tears does it take to get Jesus' feet wet? See, the sanctimonious always want to have, they're afraid of a once and for all moment where everything's given. Where the woman puts her entire life savings and breaks it over Jesus. Here come the budget, folks. that for something else. But Jesus says it wasn't given to you, it was given to me. Broken once and for all. And then Jesus makes a statement. He who has been forgiven much <laughs> loves much. Some of us have failed to recognize we've got just as much to be forgiven as anybody else in the entire universe. So Jonah cries out from the fish's belly. <coughs> Salvation belongs. In verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Boy, that must have been a sight. <laughs> oh my goodness, what must have that looked like? Again, another funny theme in the story. Even the sea monster obeys Jesus. It's like Jonah, <laughs> come on here. Leviathan is obeying Jesus here, and you can't. Come on. Let's get it together. So I've found that if you're in the fish belly, the 
the best thing you can do is some gastrointestinal praise. <laughs> Too much? No. Not too much. Got a shrug, so I'll take it. And what I found is the only thing that gets me out of the fish belly is worship. Because that's all that God really wanted. He wanted Jonah's affection. Greek word for worship is proskuneo. Pros to lean in. Kaneo to kiss. That's why worship's always awkward at first. You ever dated someone and you're trying to figure out because you don't want to get rejected, right? You're like trying to read them and seeing how they're looking at you. Do they have that gleam in their eye? And you get in your car and drive home. Man, I should have did it. What's wrong? <laughs> and some of you driving home every service and say, why didn't I press in and come forward? When I was in <laughs> have we not made it plain that he will not reject you? That's all God's asking for. That's all he's into it for. But he understands the hesitancy of the bride. So instead of asking the bride to strip, he strips on the cross and says, there's no motive in me that's against you. He says, I'll go where Jonah went to find you. And so he goes into the heart of the earth for three days. Buried in a borrowed tomb. Doesn't even the king of the universe didn't even have a place of his own to be buried. And he stays three days. Could have stayed an hour. Said, oh, I'll stay the whole time because I gotta get Jonah right. I gotta get Jonah out of my people so that they'll quit running and run to me instead of running from me. So he gets into the heart of the earth and spends three days separated from the Father. Never knew separation, never knew what it was like to not be perfectly loved by his Father. But he willingly chooses to be orphaned by his Father. And the Father turns his back on Jesus and puts his gaze on you and says, Would you come to me? Is there anything I won't withhold from you to bring you unto myself? that's not even willing to withhold his son for you, how will he not freely give you all things? So the question becomes, what are you waiting for? A message like that, and you're still waiting God for God to show you signs. Look at the cross, man. It's your bloodied, bloodied king hanging on a cross. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. They're thinking he's talking about a throne. 
And so guess what they ask? They do what church folk do. Hey, can I get on your right and your left when you come into the kingdom? He said, that ain't for me. I don't know who's going to be crucified next to me. Jesus' throne is a cross. And it's the cross that ripped open the skies and ripped open the veil that was separating us from the presence of God. Where now we can hear, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Because I'm in him. And he's in me. then I becomes a we. Yeah. Some of you are lonely. And God's trying to use the season of loneliness to teach you what it is to be in fellowship with him. not to fulfill that desire with someone that doesn't need to be there. And how many times does that fish got to vomit you up on dry land before you finally go where God's telling you to go? God is so good. God, now we pray different. We pray, thank you for the fish <laughs> that stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> if not for the fish, I don't cry out. <laughs> if not for your burning jealousy for my love and affection, God, I don't cry out. I stay in my sin and I stay in my mediocrity and I don't step into the calling that you have for me in my life. So, Lord, would you just at this time, God, that you would just move and confirm in hearts that they don't have to run, that they can trust you. Resisted and said no, God. Now we proskuneo, we lean in and kiss. We lean in. In the vulnerable moment of affection. And we give you ourself. We give you ourself. give yourself to him afresh. Just right there in your seat. Just, just give yourself to him. Some of you need to just mouth it out. God, I give you myself. I give you me. All of me for all of you.
partake of our communion at this time. Uh, if anybody needs an emblem, we've got some guys walking around passing those out. So if you need your emblem, go ahead and do that. At this time, anyone? I think we got them all, Stace. friend John here, he was doing a study in Exodus and started sharing with me some of it, and I was like, yeah, share that, please. <laughs> so he's going to share it, he's going to lead us in communion. So uh, uh, over and over in the Old Testament, I love thinking about the Old Testament, reading in the Old Testament, because over and over again, it foreshadows Jesus, right? Jonah, he's in the belly of the well for three days. <clears throat> just like Jesus was in the tomb for three days. So I want to step back about, I don't know, 700 years before Jonah, and let's talk about um, Moses a little bit. And the reason I want to do that is because when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, they are observing Passover. So let's talk about Passover for just a little bit. Matt mentioned uh, stony hearts, right? When I think of stony hearts, who do you think of? You think of maybe Pharaoh, right? So a little bit of history on Egypt. Uh, they were a polytheistic um, nation. They believed in multiple gods, and their gods had a place. Each god was a god over something. And God comes in and invades Egypt and he tears down each one of Pharaoh's gods. Let's call them idols, right? I'll give you a, for instance, the very first um, uh, the very first plague is the plague over the Nile. And there was a god over the Nile called Hopi, right? So God tears down Hopi for Pharaoh. And the one thing I want to mention is that through each of the, these plagues, Pharaoh's, he, 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 really, he relents and, and asks Moses for help. And then when he gets a reprieve, his heart, his heart hardens again. So how many times do we get a reprieve from something that we're struggling with and then we just slip right back into our life of sin? Stepping forward after the first nine plagues, God gives the Israelites a, a very um, succinct list of things that they're supposed to do to observe Passover. So when you think about these things that God lays out for Passover, think about how that may apply to the gospel story, right? So... On the 10th day of the month, they're supposed to pick out an unblemished male lamb. And then they're supposed to wait 14 days before, I mean, not sorry. They're supposed to wait four days before they slay the lamb. So for four days, they sit there and they look at this lamb thinking about the things that they're going to do. They're the, the, the observance that they're going to make. And when I think about that, I think about the, the triumphal entry, right? And then Jesus is in Jerusalem for the week before he's slain. Perhaps a preparation for his 
his uh, sacrifice. They're supposed to pick an unblemished lamb, and after four days, they slay the lamb at twilight on the 14th day. And they take the blood with some hyssop. You guys heard of hyssop before, right? They take some hyssop, and they dip it in the blood, and they put it on the doorpost and on the lintel. And then they have to roast the lamb, and then they eat it. So God comes through, and when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he passes over them. The blood is a shield from God's wrath. It protects them. And then the very lamb that was slain to give them that protection, they eat. And it becomes a part of them. Right? Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much. Thank you for being patient with us as we hold on to our idols, as we desperately grasp onto them. Thank you for knocking them down over and over again, even though we harden our hearts from time to time. Father, we thank you for the blood that shields us, that protects us, that covers us, that offers us your grace for the body God, Jesus' body for the lamb that was slain for us and through that sacrifice God that we were able to take off our shackles of slavery take off our shackles of shame and leave Egypt Thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, for the sacrificial lamb who was given for us. Thank you, Father.